Welcome to this reading of the Business Record for November 24th, 2023. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. Now here is our first story. Brian Chafin will lead Olison's growth strategy across Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the Dakotas as the engineering firm's new North Central geography leader. He will serve as senior vice president and oversee a geographic area that includes nine Olison offices and several hundred employees. Olison, which is headquartered in Lincoln, Nebraska, offers design and consulting services and planning and design, engineering, field services, environmental, and technology. Ron Mersch, Olson's chief operating officer, said in a prepared statement, Brian is a talented leader with a wealth of knowledge and experience. We're excited for Brian to build upon our momentum in the North Central region. Chafin has been at Olson for over 20 years and has experienced leading mechanical and municipal engineering teams and projects. He received his bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and his master's degree in business administration from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln. Microsoft plans a six data center in West Des Moines. This is a story written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Microsoft Incorporated, the Washington-based technology giant, plans to build a sixth data center in West Des Moines, the city council learned Monday. The proposed data center is planned on about 103 acres on the southwest corner of Veterans Parkway and Southwest 60th Street, which is in Madison County. Few other details about the proposed project were shared with the council. <clears throat> Excuse me. We anticipate closing on the property within the next couple weeks, Paul Inglis, a Microsoft representative, told the council. Once that work is completed, then we will commence with the planning work, the city staff, and the planning board um, through which the work will be completed, through which we will submit the site plan and begin evaluation of what actually will be built on that particular project. The state city development board on November 8th approved a request to annex the land into West Des Moines. The City Council on Monday approved the first reading of an ordinance that would establish the area's light industrial zoning. The second and third readings of the ordinance are expected to be approved at the Council's December 4th meeting. Carol Reichard, whose family owns Sargent Farms, raised concerns about the proposed data center development during the Council meeting. Sargent Farms, which includes about 150 acres, is immediately south of where the data center is proposed to be built. Over the past two decades, the family has enlarged the pond on the property, built a cabin, added an orchard, organic berry crop, and large garden. Bees are raised on the land, she said. <coughs> Excuse me. Our family intends to continue the use for now, but in the future, we see it being developed for residential use, incorporating a lot of the principles and values that we've put forth on the land already, Reichardt said. We've envisioned this residential development being an amazing and highly sought-after residential area for the city, but it will be lost for us from a potential use of the city with such a large data center just across the street. Reichardt asked that the city include the family in the site planning of the proposed data center and to consider requiring stringent regulations to keep the center from adversely impacting surrounding properties. City Council members directed the city staff to keep Reichardt and her family informed about the planning process and include them in discussions about the site plan. Microsoft started building data centers in West Des Moines about 14 years ago. The tech's giant fourth and fifth data centers, Ginger East on Moffat Drive and Ginger West at Boonville Road, are currently under construction 
When completed, two data centers are expected to each have about 1.8 million square feet of data center space and cost about $1 billion each to develop. The three other Microsoft data centers located in West Des Moines are Project Elevin, that's on White Crane Road, Project Osimian, that's on Southwest Cary Street, and Project Mountain, which is located on Grand Avenue. Elsewhere in the business record, 2023 Promothus Award winners. The Technology Association of Iowa recognized the winners of the 2023 Promothus Awards Thursday during a ceremony at the Community Choice Credit Union uh, Convention Center in Des Moines. The annual award gathers innovators and leaders from technology, business, education, and government organizations across the state to celebrate the year's most momentous achievements in technology, according to a news release. The awards were judged by a panel of technology leaders from across the state. And the 2023 award winners are Startup Technology Company of the Year, Revology, the IT Service Provider Technology Company of the Year, and that goes to Iowa State University, Digital Ad Innovation Lab. The Software Development Technology Company of the Year goes to Kingland Systems. Global Vet Link is the Ag Tech and Biotech Company of the Year. The Manufacturing Technology Company of the Year is Danfoss Power Solutions. FinTech and InsureTech Company of the Year goes to Co-op Solutions. The Creative Technology Solution of the Year goes to ITA Group. Principal Financial Group is the Best Technology Company Culture of the Year. Uh, Altoona is the Technology Community of the Year. The Emerging Technology Leader of the Year is Scott Krolak from Casey's. The CEO of the Year is Steve Davis from BioNeos. The CIO, CTO, CISO of the Year goes to Kathy Kay at Principal Financial Group. The UHY Impact Award goes to Debbie Durham from the Iowa Economic Development Authority. The Small Medium Iowa Technology Company of the Year goes to Shift Interactive. And the Principal Large Iowa Technology Company of the Year goes to Shazam. 29 Iowa employers make the Forbes Best in State employer list. Principal Financial Group uh, took the top spot in the Forbes America's Best Employers by State Rankings in Iowa, leading a group of 29 employers in the state that received recognition. University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, Wellmark Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Ankeny Community School District, and Deer and Company rounded out the top five. To compile the list, Forbes partnered with market research firm Statitas to survey 70,000 full or part-time employees across 50 states and the District of Columbia who work at companies with more than 500 workers nationwide. Participants were asked whether they would recommend their employer to friends and family and to evaluate their employer based on criteria including working conditions, diversity, compensation packages, potential for development and company image. Participants were also asked to assess employers beyond their own. Respondents could evaluate employers in their particular state. Nationally, participants were able to rate employers anywhere within their respective industries. All surveys done were anonymous. Continuing with the business record for the week of November 24th, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds proclaimed November 24th as Mia Peterson Day in Iowa to commemorate the 50th birthday of her under-recognized Iowan who, throughout her adult life, to promote self-advocacy and equal treatment. Peterson served in state and national roles while living in Iowa and Ohio. She returned to Iowa in 2015.
2005 and died in 2021. The proclamation includes Peterson's belief that we should let people with disabilities speak for themselves and don't let others speak for them. Brady Werger, chair for the Iowa Developmental Disability Council, read the proclamation during a ceremony Tuesday at the State Historical Building of Iowa. Peterson was born in Sioux City in 1973, grew up in Webster City, and became the first person with Down syndrome to serve as the Iowa Planning Council for Developmental Disabilities, known today as the Iowa Developmental Disabilities Council. She would go on to testify before Congress and serve on the National Developmental Disabilities Council. Mike Cox is announces ownership and leadership transition. Uh, this is a branding and marketing agency in West Des Moines and announced that Kelly Ferguson, a member of the firm's executive team, will acquire a majority interest in the company and become its president effective January 1st, 2024. With the transition, Rachel Ellenson, also a member of the executive team, will acquire a minority interest in the agency, while Mycock's current owner and president, Doug Jeske, will retain a minority interest in the company. Ferguson, Allenson, and Chesky have comprised Mycock's executive team since 2020. During that time, the agency has expanded its capabilities in digital media, content marketing, data science, research, and public relations, according to a news release. Ferguson said in a prepared statement, Myox enjoys enviable, long-standing client relationships and extraordinary team. We look forward to continuing to earn our clients' confidence while we build on the agency's further trajectory. Ferguson worked at Myox from 1998 to 2002 after graduating from Northwest Missouri State University. He rejoined the agency in 29 after earning a Master of Business Administration from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and after working as a strategic account manager for AgDate LP. Ferguson was recently elected president of the Americas region for the Advertising and Marketing Independent Network, a global network of more than 50 independent marketing agencies, including Myox. Allenson graduated from Iowa State with a degree in graphic design and joined the company in 1989. Jeske, who purchased Myox in 2008 will step back from day-to-day responsibilities in mid-February and serve in a consulting role through 2024. The Arcadia office building is undergoing a $6 million makeover. The ITA group will relocate to the now vacant West Des Moines office building. The Arcadia office building in West Des Moines will undergo a $6 million makeover that, when completed, will provide employees with more modern workspaces and amenities, the property's owner said. The four-story building, located at 7000 Vista Drive, has been occupied by Wells Fargo Card Services since its construction in the early 1990s. Wells Fargo moved the division to its Jordan Creek campus, creating more than 280,000 square feet of vacant office space in West Des Moines. We have a big portfolio of office space and been doing office for a long time, said Mark Ruprecht, president of R&R Realty Group, which owns the Arcadia property. We have a really good feel for what employees want, and today they want the ultimate experience. They want amenities, not on a small scale, but on a large scale. Employers want amenities that will get employees back to the office where they can collaborate and have access to things that they wouldn't necessarily have at a remote work site. Among the most ambitious changes on the 34-acre site is the conversion of about four acres of parking into green space. 
The area located on the southern edge of the property will include walking paths, picnic areas, spaces for working outside, a pickleball court, and numerous plants and trees. Two existing ponds will bookend the green space. Outdoor classes such as yoga will be able to be held in the area. The building will have fewer people working in it, so there won't be the need for as much parking space, said Jeremy Shepard, who's the president of Developmental Services Corporation, a division of R&R Realty. We want to create an outdoor workspace and outdoor entertainment environment for employees and customers. Space is also being created for a food truck court, something that's been added at other R&R Realty properties and is popular with workers, Shepard said. The interior of the building will be converted from a single-tenant user to a multi-tenant building. ITA Group, now located in R&R's Realty's Regency West Office Park, is relocating to the Arcadia Building, leasing nearly 150,000 square feet, Brent Vanderwall, the company's CEO and president, said. Adam Caduce, president of R&R Real Estate Investors, said, We have some other folks who are actively considering the building. We still have opportunities in the building for tenants that want or need 4,000 square feet of space or a full floor. Tenants will have a large range of amenities available. The Arcadia's lobby is being redesigned to include a floor-to-ceiling video wall that will will display waterfalls or other nature-related scenes. Also planned is an executive conference room that will be shared by the building's tenants, a multi-purpose room, fitness center, grab-and-go market, and Starbucks coffee kiosk are also being added. The building's exterior has been restained and minor repairs made. Caduce said, we think these brand new contemporary finishes are ones that will help draw people back to the office they are going to want to experience and utilize the space. Over the past couple of years, R&R Realty has been modernizing its office buildings as a way to retain tenants and attract new ones. The group earlier this year announced that it was updating its Palisade building at 4900 University Avenue in West Des Moines. The building was restained and the interior refreshed. The upgrades came during a time when there's a large amount of vacant office space in the greater Des Moines market. CBRE Incorporated's most recent office market report showed the Des Moines area with 2.87 million square feet of vacant office space, 42% or 1.22 million square feet of which is in West Des Moines and Clive. The Arcadia vacancy is the largest amount of empty office space West Des Moines has in one building, said Ryan Moffitt. West Des Moines Community and Economic Development Director. The vacancy in the Arcadia and other office buildings have contributed to the decline in the assessed value of office properties, he said. The Arcadia property, for instance, has seen its assessed value drop 41% to $18 million for its 2020 value of $30 million. Moffitt said, we don't want properties sit vacant for a long period of time and have its assessed value continually decreasing. The city is working with R&R Realty Group to help ensure improvements are made to the property and that it doesn't continue to sit vacant. This week, the West Des Moines City Council approved an amendment to the Ashworth Corridor Urban Renewal Plan that would pave the way for the city to provide financial assistance for improvements to the property. Part of the financial package includes issuing property tax rebates up to $1.5 million over a seven-year period, according to information provided to the council. A development agreement with R&R Realty Group, which is expected to be considered by the council on December 4th, 
will include a minimum assessment requirement for the property that will be in place for 14 years, Moffitt said. The development agreement will also include a requirement that the building be occupied by one or more businesses that have at least 50 jobs. Moffitt said that having that minimum assessment will provide us with some stability on what the assessment is going to be during that duration. ITA's group uh, move will create a better experience for workers, um, the president says, at a time when companies are reducing the space they have in office buildings, ITA group is bucking the trend. The West Des Moines-based company is expanding its footprint by 66%. Our intent is to create the better experience for our team, said Brent Vanderwall, the company's CEO and president. ITA Group manages and operates incentive, employee recognition, and customer experience programs for Fortune 1000 companies, currently leases about 90,000 square feet of space in the Regency West office park. The company's lease is expiring, and Vanderwall said he wanted to relocate the offices to next-generation space that helps attract and retain employees. In 2004, the company will relocate to the Arcadia building, about two miles west from the group's current location. The vacant Arcadia is undergoing a $6 million makeover. We want to add amenities to our building that we felt were going to be difficult to do in our existing space, Vanderwall said. Among the amenities will be an on-site daycare and a robust fitness center. Also planned are over four acres of green space and will include walking trails and places to work. ITA Group has about 500 local employees and another 500 worldwide. Since the pandemic, ITA Group has allowed employees to choose where they work. Our main rule is, let your work determine where you work, said Vanderwall. If there's a meeting with four or five people, we ask that the meeting be held at our office. Vanderwall estimated that between 50 and 60% of the company's uh, local employees work in the office Monday through Thursday. Vanderwall said he thinks more employers will work from the office when ITA group moves to the Arcadia. Employees who use the new daycare will likely remain at the office to work, he said. Others will be attracted to the state-of-the-art fitness center and other amenities. The new office space will help ITA group attract new employees, Vanderwall said. And he added, we want to create our workplace to be a destination, the kind of destination that makes it easy and convenient and comfortable for people to work in. A new Meals on Wheels campus expected to triple meal capacity. A new Wesley Life Meals on Wheels campus that will celebrate its grand opening on December 1st is expected to triple the number of meals that Meals on Wheels delivers daily to older adults and military veterans in central Iowa, according to a press release. Governor Kim Reynolds and Des Moines Mayor-elect Connie Bozen will be at the ribbon cutting 3 to 5 p.m. at the new location located at 3206 University Avenue in Des Moines. The campus will feature a new commercial kitchen, a space for multi-generational programming and experiences, and the country's only Meals on Wheels affiliated hydroponic farming operation. Wesley Life farmer Aaron Thormanson will be available to offer tours and answer questions at the ribbon cutting. Iowa State's College of Liberal Arts and Sciences names a new dean. Benjamin Withers, who currently serves as Dean of the College of Liberal Arts at Colorado State University, has been named the next Dean at Iowa State University's College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. He will begin his new role April 15, 2024, replacing Dean Beat Schitterman, 
a Schmidt Amendment, I'm sorry, who will retire in summer of 2024 after serving for 12 years in the position. Benjamin Withers brings a wealth of experience to Iowa State University, including service as a department chair, dean, and associate provost. And that's a statement from Iowa State President Wendy Witherstein. She adds, Withers also understands the deep value of public and land-grant institutions, and we are pleased he will build upon the legacy of Dean Schmitterman. Withers has a bachelor's degree from Carleton College in Minnesota, as well as master's and doctorate degrees from the University of Chicago, all in art history. He previously served at Indiana University South Bend and the University of Kentucky before joining Colorado State as dean in 2016. Wells Fargo Economist says that the U.S. 2024 outlook has generally remains resilient, but too soon to say the storm has passed. The big bank predicts the Fed is probably done raising interest rates, but will be slow to ease restrictive policy in 2024 to meet its 2% inflation goal. This is a story written by Michael Mendenhall. Consumer spending has kept the U.S. economy resilient in 2023, but Wells Fargo's annual economic outlook report released this month predicts the country's gross domestic product will contract modestly in mid-2024 as inflation continues to slowly fall. Economists at the fourth largest bank in the U.S. and Des Moines' second largest employer caution in the report we believe it would be premature to claim that the economic storm has passed. In our view, the U.S. economic outlook over the next year or so is far from sunny. A full-blown economic storm may not develop, but storm clouds likely will dominate the horizon for the foreseeable future, according to the report. That report was issued November 9th and was produced by economists J.H. Bryson, Nick Benerbroek, Jackie Benson, and Shannon Siri Grine. As the economy entered the fourth quarter, quarter of 2023, the Federal Open Market Committee at the Federal Reserve said that the year over change in the core personal consumption expenditures, which Fed officials believe is the best measure of the underlying rate of consumer inflation, was 3.7% in September, according to a report. That's down from the 5.5% rate that was registered in September of 2022. Consumer prices rose at 2.5% between June and September, with the Wells Fargo forecast predicting further moderation in the coming months. But the report says the battle against inflation has not yet been decisively won. Wells Fargo's outlook predicts that to be confident inflation is returning to 2% on a sustained basis, they uh, likely will maintain a restrictive policy stance through the early months of 2024. In our view, the Fed probably has done hiking interest rates, but it likely will be some time before the committee begins to ease policy, according to the report. Therefore, the real Fed funds, the real Fed funds rate will creep higher in the coming months as the Fed maintains its target rate for the federal funds rate at its current level of 5.2% to 5.5%, while inflation continues to slow, slow, slowly fall toward 2%. There already are some cracks are beginning to appear in the economy, and these strains likely will intensify in the coming months as monetary restraint remains in place. We acknowledge that the Fed likely will not ease as much as we forecast if the economy manages to avoid a contraction. Wells Fargo predicts that even if the Fed meets its goal of a soft landing for the U.S. economy, 
real GDP growth in 2024 likely will be subpar at best due to the elevated level of real interest rates that will be needed to wring inflation out of the economy. In the commercial real estate market, the report predicts struggles for the office and multifamily sectors, while fundamentals in the retail and industrial sectors are stronger. According to the report, the rise in mortgage rates has weighed on the single-family housing market as the number of housing uh, looks likely to be down roughly 10% in 2023 compared to last year. In the multifamily market, Wells Fargo says persistent construction in recent years has outstripped demand, cooling rents, and lifting multifamily vacancy rates 2.3 percentage points from the cycle low in 2021. Report says while pricing is still clouded by the low level of transactions occurring, lower valuations and a potentially higher interest rate regime could present a challenging backdrop in the years ahead. The industrial real estate and warehouse markets have been bolstered by government investment in electric vehicle and transistor manufacturing through the Inflation Reduction Act, according to the report. That could benefit the Midwestern states of Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio that have been targeted for electric vehicle battery production. Population drops in the larger U.S. metropolitan areas, the Midwest and Northeast due to the pandemic, could have an impact on regional economies if the national economy contracts in 2024, according to the report. The Mountain West and Sunbelt states, which have seen population migration, could be better positioned, the report says. For Iowa, data from the U.S. Department of Labor and Wells Fargo Economics cited in the report shows that as of September, the state has regained 98% of the March-April 2020 job losses from the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's below the jobs recovery rate of surrounding Midwestern states, according to a chart in the report. Internationally, the Wells Fargo economists predict the Eurozone countries as a group will avoid recession, but sluggish economic growth in 2023 will persist into 2024. China is also likely to continue its trend of slower and historic growth of its economy. India's economy could be a bright spot globally in 2024, according to the report, outperforming most other developing countries. But the Wells Fargo economist said the Indian economy is not large enough to have a measurable effect on global GDP in 2024, which the report forecasts will grow by 2.4% next year. You are listening to this week's edition of the Business Record for November 24th. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to IRIS so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the Business Record. A new report highlights the continued maternal health care concerns in Iowa. This is an article written by the business records, Kyle Hahn. The March of Dimes 2023 report card released Thursday highlights a fourth straight increase in preterm birth rate in Iowa and continued disparities by race, ethnicity across poor birthing outcomes, all part of a maternal health care decline that Abby Flanagan Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine at Unity Point Health in Grinnell said has been decades in the making. Between January 2000 and December 2021, 41 of Iowa's community-level hospitals closed their birthing units, with 33 of those in rural counties, according to data 
from the Iowa's Integrated Data System for Decision Making. The fact that we're surprised that rural maternal care is decreasing here in Iowa is just something that has potentially been overlooked because it's been this way for years. And unfortunately, we're just starting to see more side effects of it now because more places have had to close their maternity floors because of this, Flanagan said. According to the March of Dimes report, Iowa's preterm birth rate was 10.2 in 2022, up from 10.0 a year prior. But the 2022 rate was much higher for American Indian, Alaska Native birthing people at 15.7 and black birthing people at 12.4. While the state's infant mortality rate continued its downward trend from 6% or 6.0 mark it reached in 2016 to 4.0 in 2021, that's 1.4 points lower than the U.S. rate. The infant mortality rate among babies born to black birthing people was 11.1 and 6.6 among babies born to Asian Pacific Islander birthing people, the report says. Ebony Bailey has been out, has set out to try to help to reverse those trends and improve the well-being experiences of black birthing people. Bailey, who said she started her doula journey in 2015 after having three kids of her own, met with a couple of doulas in 2020 during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic to discuss how they could have the greatest influence, and that led to the creation of the Iowa Black Doula Collective. A doula is a trained professional who provides emotional, physical, and informational support to individuals before, during, and after childbirth. The support a doula offers is non-medical and focuses on the well-being of the birthing person and their overall experience. Doulas aim to empower individuals by providing education, advocacy, and continued support during the childbirth process, Bailey said. In addition to those services the doulas provide, the Iowa Black Doula Collective engages in community outreach and educational activities, including community baby showers and doula bag Facebook live events that take place monthly to raise awareness about the benefits of doula support and promote maternal and infant health within the black community. Bailey said the disparities in preterm birth rates and infant mortality rates among different racial and ethnic groups are complex and often influenced by a combination of social, economic, and healthcare factors. Bailey outlined in an email seven potential factors that could contribute to the disparities highlighted in the March of Dimes report. First, social determination of health. Social and economic factors such as income, education, employment, and adequate housing can significantly impact health outcomes, Bailey said. Communities facing systemic racism and economic inequality may experience higher rates of stress, which can contribute to adverse birth outcomes. Second, access to prenatal care. Bailey said that limited access to quality prenatal care can lead to disparities in preterm birth rates and infant mortality rates. Barriers such as transportation issues, lack of insurance, and adequate health care facilities can prevent individuals from receiving timely and appropriate prenatal care, she said. Next, maternal health disparities. Disparities in maternal health, including pre-existing health conditions, can contribute to adverse birth outcomes according to Bailey. She said that black women may face higher rates of chronic health conditions such as hypertension and diabetes, which are risk factors for preterm birth and infant mortality. 
Next, implicit bias in healthcare. Bailey said studies have shown that implicit biases among healthcare providers can impact the quality of care individuals receive. Black birthing people may face discrimination or receive suboptimal care leading to poorer outcomes, she said. A 2021 Iowa Maternal Mortality Review Committee report found that of all pregnancy-associated deaths reviewed, structural racism and or discrimination were determined to be a contributing factor in 40% of the cases. Stress and racism. Bailey said that chronic stress, often exacerbated by experiences of racism and discrimination, can contribute to adverse birth outcomes. The stress associated with racism has been linked to preterm birth and low birth weights. Community resources is another factor. Disparities in access to community resources such as nutritious food, safe neighborhoods, and social support can affect overall health and contribute to adverse birth outcomes, according to Bailey. And finally, systemic racism. Bailey said structural and systemic racism can permeate various aspects of society, including health care, leading to unequal treatment and opportunities. Addressing disparities in preterm birth and infant mortality requires efforts to dismantle systemic racism and promote equity in health care, she said. Bailey also added, efforts to address these disparities require a multifaceted approach that includes improvements in health care access, addressing social determinants of health, reducing implicit bias, and promoting policies that support maternal and infant health equity. Addressing the disparities in preterm birth rates and infant mortality rates requires a comprehensive and multifaceted approach involving health care, social services, and community initiatives, or that one of these factors can occur at the same time, creating a complex web of influences on health outcomes. Two of the challenges regarding maternal health that Flanagan, who specializes in women's health in Grinnell, has seen are lack of access and lower workforce numbers. We're down manpower for sure, he said, so there's actually only two of us here in town that do cesarean sections, so we're trying to cover every day of every month in order to keep our obstetrics floor open, Flanagan said. We do need to have somebody available on call to do a C-section in an emergency, so the two of us are kind of balancing, trying to cover 30 days a month and still balance families and things like that. With a rising number of rural labor and deliver unit closures within the past two decades, Flanagan said that Unity Point Grinnell is now only one of a couple of hospitals providing services between Des Moines in Iowa City. When you think of only having a couple places to stop in a two and a half hour drive, it can be very nerve wracking, I think, for our patients who live more rurally to know that they're going to make it to the hospital in time, said Flanagan. Increasing staffing has been a growing need for Unity Point Grinnell as the number of new patients continues to tick up, driven by surrounding OB units shutting down. Flanagan said that we just see our numbers grow and grow from a patient standpoint. We're up almost 40 or 50 deliveries from last year, which in a hospital like ours is a pretty significant number of growth. Ideally, between the two surgeons and our midwife, who's fantastic, there's three of us doing deliveries now. We're looking to have one more partner to our team. While workforce gaps have been widening in rural areas across the state, Flanagan is one of three physicians who have transferred recently to the Grinnell Clinic. 
He said, I think we're getting really good support from a staff hiring standpoint. Unfortunately, there are just not as many people going into healthcare as there used to be, but I think they support us really well knowing what our needs are here. Between me joining and our two family medicine physicians, three of us have now come from Des Moines in the last two years, knowing that hopefully we can make Grinnell an excellent stop along the way and help relieve some of the pressure that the bigger cities are seeing as well. Unity Point is doing a very good job with that. We did open up an outreach center in Marshalltown, which has allowed us to bring women's health back to that area that was so desperately in need since they lost their providers a couple of years ago. And while several labor and delivery units across the state have shut down, Floyd Valley Healthcare in Lamar's is planning a renovation and expansion of its maternal care development. Tara Geddes, Chief Nursing Officer at Floyd Valley, said, It's a multi-phase construction project. The first phase will be our OB renovations. We expect that to be completed by spring of 2025, so about a year project for that renovation, give or take a few months. And then we'll be moving from that into a renovation expansion of our lab services as well. The update will include larger rooms where birthing people will be able to labor, deliver, and receive postpartum care all in the same location without having to move to another room. We have had phenomenal OB care throughout the years in our labor and, de- labor and delivery department, Geddes said. We have great physicians and nursing staff. Our existing unit, though, is just quite small. Our current rooms are about 200 square feet each, and so they're really not been able, from a square footage and space perspective, been able to keep up with the technology and demands of our community. By moving into this new space, we were able to double the size of our rooms. We're moving from one delivery room into a labor, delivery, recovery, and postpartum room where moms will be able to labor and deliver and then have postpartum care right there. Geddes said that they expect the project to cost about $5 million and have received donations from community businesses and community partners. Donors have really stepped up to the plate, she said. We're doing a capital campaign to continue raising funds for that project, and then additionally, we will cash flow the difference between the donations and the final sum. Updates could be coming to Unity Point Grinnell as well. Flanagan said we're looking at hopefully remodeling and adding some more labor rooms because we're outgrowing our facility quickly with the amount of counties that we're covering right now. We've gotten good support from all of our donors, and things here in Grinnell have been fantastic, too, on helping us to remodel, make things a little bit more comfortable, and hopefully get us a few more rooms so we're not ever at a point where we're just simply full and can't take any more patients. Elsewhere in the business records, CBRE announces transition of Des Moines market leader Bill Wright. CBRE has announced that Bill Wright, Managing Director of CBRE's Des Moines office, is stepping down from his position to transition to a solely brokerage role with the company. Jeff Kaiser, Senior Managing Director for the region, is leading a search from both within CBRE and outside the company to identify Wright's successor. Wright will become a Senior Vice President upon the hiring of his successor, according to a news release. Wright said in a prepared statement, I've been involved in brokerage work for the past 31 years and enjoy every minute. This transition will allow me to focus on working with my three partners to continue continue growing our brokerage business. Our Des Moines office is already the largest commercial brokerage operation in Iowa. Having a market leader who is entirely focused on managing the advisory and transaction service business will help the office's brokerage team 
leverage CBRE's vast resources and continue to produce successful outcomes for our clients. Wright joined CBRE's Des Moines office, then called CBRE Hubble Commercial, a CBRE affiliate since 1996, and he joined them in 2014. He served as senior vice president specializing in the sale and leasing of office and retail properties until adding manager director to his role in 2018. As managing director, he led CBRE Hubble Commercial through its acquisition by CBRE in 2020. A new report shows the economic impact of arts and culture on Central Iowa. Nonprofit arts and cultural organizations events contribute nearly $310 million a year to the Central Iowa economy, according to a report released last week. The report, the result of a survey done in partnership with Americans for the Arts, looked at the economic impact of arts and culture on the region in 2022, including jobs, wages, and salaries, and the amount of tax revenue generated by the sector. Sally Dix, who's the executive director of Bravo Greater Des Moines, said the data contained in the report helps tell the story of how important the arts and culture section is to the uh, culture sector is to the community. She said, arts and culture often align with the quality of life and that's an important part of the role the sector plays. But we have to work harder to get the data out about economic impact. It's a really critical part of the story of why the sector is a critical asset for the strength of our region. The economic impact, impact is measurable, it's important, it provides critical context to the story we're trying to tell about social impact and its unique role Bravo plays to be able to support research like this to elevate the sector. Americans for the Arts worked with Des Moines and 373 communities across the country, including nine others in Iowa, to compile the data. Dick said that the overall impact of more than $309.9 million is a lot of money, but that people should also pay attention to the number of jobs, more than 5,400, supported by the sector. She noted that the sector generates nearly $67 million a year in local, state, and federal tax revenue. It busts that myth that nonprofits, particularly arts and culture, are just taking public funds when in fact they are really generating and contributing quite a lot to the public sector, she said. The report also shows that more than $208 million is paid in salaries and wages within the sector. Other findings from the report, more than 3.7 million people attended arts and culture events. There was more than $147.7 million in event-related spending. And overall spending per person per event totaled nearly $40, including food and drink, retail shopping, one-night lodging, and local transportation, among other spending. Greg Edwards, who's president and CEO of Catch Des Moines, said the data is important to his organization because arts and cultural events play a major role in how Catch Des Moines sells the region to visitors. It's important data that we can further analyze and help with our future marketing of some of these events and sell the metro for conventions, sporting events, and even leisure travelers, Edwards added. He said the data contained in the report is important for the communities that looks to attract and retain talent. Our business community is fully supportive of all arts and culture and tourism, so I think it's important for them to see that. They look at arts and culture specifically as retaining employers and as leverage to recruit new employees from out of state, so it's very important for them as well. Ann Shamerdla, CEO of Blank Park Sioux, said the survey shows that the nonprofit and arts and culture sector are important economic drivers in the region. 
She said that one metric that stood out to her was the number of people coming from outside the area to attend events in central Iowa. According to the report, more than 1 million people traveled from out of the area to visit attractions or attend events in the community in 2022. Shamedla said that businesses can tap the data as a tool for talent attraction and retention. Communities that have strong arts and cultural components to them usually are more attractive to recruit outside talent, she said. And she said that the tax support metric also helps demonstrate how the sector is giving back to the community. This really looks at it again, how it's contributing to the overall economic impact of the community itself. So by bringing in tourism, by having people spend their dollars when they're here, by generating tax money that goes back to the community, I think it's a message that many people don't think about. Dick said that 179 organizations and programs in the region contributed data for the report. The depth and breadth of the organizations and cultural sector is enormous. I just don't think people understand the robustness of what is available in our community. And while she's proud of the economic data, Dick says it's important not to lose sight of the social impact that arts and culture has in our community. It brings people together, provides a sense of belonging, inspires creativity, she said. Those are also really important stories. They're just a little harder to measure than the economics piece. I don't want people to forget that there are two sides to this coin, and we have a lot to be proud of either way. And this was a story written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. Grow Solar Park, uh, Grow Solar, Polk County, and Urban Dreams present a new solar array. Urban Dreams, along with Grow Solar Park County program leaders and the Des Moines West Side Chamber, present a new solar array Wednesday at the Urban Dreams office in Des Moines. The solar installation, created with the help from the Grow Solar Polk County program and a $20,000 donation from the Nature Conservancy in Iowa, is expected to save more than $3,200 a year according to a press release. The Grow Solar Polk County program between 2022 and 2023 produced 583.63 kilowatts of solar power and led to $1,624,802 in local investments throughout the county. The initiative, which has reached more than 500 local residents, emphasized solar education and volume purchasing to make solar more affordable for businesses and homeowners. The solar systems installed through the two years of the program will avoid greenhouse gas emissions equivalent up to 1,094,220,000 pounds of carbon dioxide every year, according to the press release. Ankeny-based One Solar Source, I'm sorry, One Source Solar, was the installer for the program. The 2023 Pillars of Philanthropy is out now. It gives uh, people a chance to read letters from eight nonprofit leaders. This is done by the business record. The nonprofit community is driven by purpose and desire to make a difference in the community. Each organization has a unique mission and niche in which they serve, but like all organizations, they face challenges in our changing world. What do you do when you're faced with more people to serve than ever before? How do you engage with community members who don't have resources to be major donors? What kind of message can your organization portray to potential donors who may see your focus as less important than other needs? What does collaboration among nonprofits look like in 2023? For the Business Records Pillars of Philanthropy publication, eight nonprofit leaders wrote about how they're rising to the occasion to meet these challenges head on. We also asked them to predict how philanthropy will change in the next five years. 
These eight leaders are just a sampling of the many organizations that make a difference in Central Iowa. But what the business record found so profound about working with each leader on their letter was that despite drastically different missions and focuses, health, public radio, arts and culture, support for cancer survivors, youth homelessness, at-risk children, refugee resources, and supporting other nonprofits, each leader illuminated common themes, creativity, open-mindedness, engagement, innovation. Through the lessons, we hope that you can better understand how to navigate through your own unique barriers. The magazine is dedicated to celebrating the work of our nonprofit leaders who work to stay at the top of the game so they can best serve the community. And the uh, nonprofit leaders who were interviewed for this publication include Angie Detless Trenton, Chief Community Impact Officer at the Community Foundation of Greater Des Moines, Jamie Habert, Executive Director of Iowa Healthy Estate Initiative, Myrna Johnson, the Executive Director of Iowa Public Radio, Chris Goodell, the President of Above and Beyond Cancer, Lisa Behrens, uh, YSS Director for Iowa Homeless Youth Centers, Sally Dix, the Executive Director of Bravo Greater Des Moines, Sherry McMichael, she's the Executive Director of Variety Chosen Charity of Iowa, and Terry Caldwell-Johnson, the President and CEO of Oak, uh, Oak Ridge Neighborhood. Talshap reflects on listening to our partnership begins crafting its 2024 priorities. Tiffany Talshak has been has had a busy start to her tenure as president and CEO of the Greater Des Moines Partnership. She was named Economic Development Organization's new leader beginning July 1st after her predecessor, Jay Byers, stepped down to become the new president of Simpson Collins. Since then, she has met one-on-one -on -one with each member of the partnership team, learning about their journeys, their career paths, and their future aspirations. She also has held more than 320 conversations across the partnership's 11-county region. That included talks with the partnership investors, city and county leaders, local chamber of commerce leaders, small business owners, and policymakers. At the same time, the partnership has conducted an investor survey, which included input from 100 participants. The business record sat down with Toshak recently to learn about what she heard during those meetings and how that information will be applied the partnership's mission moving forward. And here's some of the things that she had to say. Why was it important to undertake the listening tour that you've been on? Uh, Talshek said, I've been at the partnership for over eight years, have worn various hats, and have seen a lot of the work that the partnership does in coordination and collaboration with our partners throughout the community. It was really important for, to me to get out into those communities and sit down, look face-to-face -face and talk through what is important, how are things going, and their community or business and how the partnership can be helpful to them. They were candid conversations and I view the feedback as a gift in helping inform the next steps for the partnership. It's always very important for me to listen and learn. While the listening tour is going to be wrapping up, at least for this year, the listening and learning never ends. It always continues. I foresee the listening tour will live on, but perhaps through 12 months of the year now instead of the four months that I've spent. What did you hear during those meetings? There was a great deal of consistency with what I was hearing. We heard in nearly every conversation unsolicited key themes around workforce, childcare, education, and housing. Those were the four topics and opportunities that came up in nearly every single conversation without asking. Those were the four that were lifted up. Some communities are addressing those opportunities differently. There's a great deal of consistency in identifying there are these four areas we could collaborate on as a region to have a positive impact. 
There's also acknowledgement that those four themes have connective tissue, and if we can positively impact one area, then that will likely positively impact another one of those areas. I also heard an eagerness for rural, urban, and suburban to connect and have even stronger relationships. An example would be city leaders and community leaders wanting to get connected with the city manager in the area that they don't have a relationship with. They want that relationship before they need that relationship, and that is something the partnership can help with. The conversations indicated that there continues to be an interest in people having their fingerprints in the future of the region, a willingness to lean in and be a part of solutions and building opportunity, collaborating. Our opportunity, what I heard in all these conversations, is continuing to help people see themselves and being a part of the future that we're building together and having some ownership in that future. Other things that she heard, on workforce, everyone wants more talent. That's the message across the board. How do we continue to draw more talent into the region while continuing to retain the talent we have? There's a lot of interest in work-based learning and apprenticeships. There's also some really great programs, but we also have opportunities to help educate, connect, and collaborate with some of our investors on in building out even more programming. On childcare, it varied a little bit based on the community what the specific challenge was, but overall, there are different models that we've learned about through the listening tour where different communities are addressing those child care challenges with unique models to their community. What you'll see us do as we move forward is lifting up some of those examples and models to other communities. On the airport, we heard over and over again that the number one needed game changer is the airport terminal project. So the fact that the bond referendum just passed and with 80% approval really underscores that partnership investors and board members and members and the voters agree that there is this need. On placemaking, another key message we heard was placemaking and continued commitment to placemaking and thinking of it through a regional lens. Remembering that even a small project in a community can have a major impact on placemaking for that community and the reason. Other specifics on communities are addressing some of those. Uh, she mentioned the Sprouts Early Learning Academy in Carlisle. They're working closely with retirees as well as students at the high school to help their learning center. An example related to housing and building quality of life is what Grinnell and Powersheet County are looking to accomplish with the Sapphire Lake project. There's also the Veterans District Development in Knoxville, a partnership between Marion County and the city of Knoxville to redevelop the 152 acres of the former VA hospital with several residential neighborhoods and a park. And the final question a business record asked Telshek was, what, what have you learned about yourself during these first few months in your new role? One lesson I've learned even further since taking this seat is how important it is to have a strong team internally and a support network externally. As you step into a top leadership role, you realize that people are looking to you for direction on decisions and challenges that you may not have faced before. Chances are others have had similar experiences to navigate, and leaders in our community are willing to help each other. It just takes the willingness to be vulnerable and ask for help. This interview and article was done by Michael Crow of The Business Record. And you have been listening to The Business Record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. I'm your reader, Pat Steele. Thank you for sharing your time with Iris, and we will see you next week.